Oh, I almost made it! Hey guys, sorry, sorry, don't mind us. What's up? Thanks, Shana. Welcome, welcome to Oasis, thanks for being here. That by far, so far, out of the, I think we've had like two or three bumper videos, I'm 100% gonna run into this. So don't be alarmed when that happens. Um, my favorite bumper video that we've had uh, that deals with the uh, services that we're doing. So the series is called Bridge to Becoming. And as Jana said, we're looking at the vices and virtues that we see throughout scripture. And about in, in the fourth century, uh, early church fathers, early church theologians, they looked at the list of sin in the New Testament that Paul would write. So Paul's writing these letters to the early church and early churches that he had helped plant, that he has a relationship, that, that he knows that he wants to encourage. And a lot of the time when he's speaking into the churches, he's addressing issues that they have within their church. He's trying to encourage them with who God says they are, with who he says he is, uh, continuing to implement and talk through intentionally the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is why they are just even in the place that they are, that Jesus has come for them through his life, death, and resurrection. We have a relationship with God now. And then like every so often, he just gives off these lists of sins and just goes, do, 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 do. and there's a ton of them. And so you had these theologians and these early church fathers who would look at this list of sin and they would see them and eventually they somehow got like pitted into like sections of different kinds of sin. And so you'd read it like, okay, flee from sexual immorality and greed and stay away from wrath and all these different sins. And, and so one early church father, I can't remember his name, probably should have wrote it down. I would have forgotten it eventually, which is okay. Probably don't know how to pronounce it. As he looked at it, he said, okay, there's specific sins that he lists that can be categorized into what are called vices. And we've heard of vices. And vices are these things that just aren't sin themselves or a one-time action. They're actually patterns of living into ultimately for us as followers of Jesus, what God does not desire for us. But on the opposite side of that, it's not just vices, so it's not just super negative, or we're gonna talk about all the bad things and here's why you're evil. Not my intention. On the other side of it, there's virtues. And things that we can pursue and press into to live a holy life that God has asked and desired us to live. And what's awesome about that is in between there. And, and, and why I love how we're approaching this is a year and a half ago, our senior pastor, Steve Norby of Grace Point Church, did a series called The Heart of the Matter. And in that, he addressed these vices and virtues things. And he talked about one, right, seven weeks, every single Sunday. But we're not just going to focus on, well, here's the vice, here's the virtue. I'm going to say, all right, good luck, live it out. Like that would be horrible, especially if this is your first time either in here or watching online. The one we're going to do tonight, I, I'm super excited about because I never thought I'd be able to talk about sex twice in a year, but it's happened. <laughs> super pumped about it. And it's two different messages, which is amazing. I can't believe it. It's like, I mean, I got way more to say about sex. Who knew? <laughs> it's true. But what's awesome is it's not just here's the vice, stay away from, here's the virtue run, virtue run towards it's there's a means of grace that we can rest in, that we can pursue, that we can live in, that is a work of the Holy Spirit within us to actually help us be the people that God has created us to be. So as we talk through these vices and virtues, I don't want this to be a discouraging moment where things are gonna get revealed in your soul, where stuff is gonna happen and conviction is gonna come from the Holy Spirit. And I don't want there to be a moment where you're just sitting in that. I want us to be able to together to pursue what does it look like as followers of Jesus to run after the virtue, to live a virtuous life that we are called into, not just for our benefit and what God would desire for us and how to live a life in the craziness of the world, but it also then becomes an opportunity for evangelism actually to reach out to people, to say there's a different way to live this life. 
than what the world has to offer. And his name is Jesus. But then here's how he helps us live that life. Uh, St. Augustine, who is a brilliant, brilliant man, you can just put the quote up there, uh, Jackson. It says, now, this first word looks fake. I'm just going to say it. Y'all are smarter than I am. You probably knew this was a word. I did not know this was a word before this week. But it's specious. I, I looked up how to pronounce it. That's how you pronounce it. But he says, specious vices have a flawed reflection of beauty. And it's this idea of the abundant amount of not just vices, but they things and sin and patterns of sin that we fall into offer us an easy shortcut and a recipe for self-made satisfaction. It's in a twisted way, our own pursuit of the vices shows us attempting to attain goods like love and friendship and protection and security, recognition and approval, comfort and pleasure, status and worth. And we pursue those things as we pursue these vices all on our own for ourselves. So we pursue them by ourselves for ourselves. These are the vices. And so we're going to go through the seven. And tonight, I don't know if you guys know this, but today's Valentine's Day, right? Happy Valentine's Day. A smart pastor would start with pride. I'm starting with lust. We're getting right into it. Super pumped about it. Super excited about it. Happy Valentine's Day. Welcome to Oasis. <laughs> if you're online, love you guys. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. We're talking about lust tonight. Get ready. Buckle up. It's going to be good. And we're going to start very simply with just, okay, a definition of lust, right? Okay, makes sense. Lust is an excessive craving for the pleasures of the body. An excessive craving for the pleasures of the body. Now, in the New Testament, when this word lust is written in the Greek, it literally means this longing desire. And it's not just written as lust. There are some times where it's interpreted for us in the English as actual just desire. Lust is the negative aspect of a desire that is within us. So if you look at like Luke twenty two fifteen, it says, and he said to them, Jesus to his disciples, it says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That same word for desire is the same word that Paul uses and Jesus even uses um, when they both use lust. It's this longing desire, but lust turns it into a negative desire. Not all desire is bad. Some desire is good. Jesus said, I desired to have this Passover with you tonight because he knew he was going to go and die. Paul, writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, says, you who desire to be an overseer, which is a pastor, not of one church, but an overseer of many churches, says you desire, which is the same Greek word that's used for lust in the different books in the New Testament, you desire to be an overseer and desire a noble task. Not all desire is bad. Lust takes our desire, flips it in a negative way, takes something good, a good longing, and uses it in an abusive way, in an excessive way, to fulfill desires that we have. And it always has to do with the pleasures of the body. So, I'm going to talk about sex a lot, but it's not just sex. And the reason that I'm going to focus a lot more on sex is the Bible, the way it talks about lust, has to do with sexual immorality. It has to do with sex. Before we get there, I want to say this. And why people tend to start with pride is they see pride as like the most primal of sin, but lust is the most popular. Pride is the one that where we kind of can see the drive of everything else falls within this. If pride is selfishness and I desire my own gratification, satisfaction, and fulfillment, I'm going to get whatever I want. That makes sense that everything falls into it. So it's the most primal. It's the most inherent. But lust is the most popular. I heard it said once that uh, from, from his guy, his name is Noel. 
and he is the president of an organization called Pure Hope. And I was at a conference that he was doing, and he said, pornography is the wallpaper of our society. He said, as everywhere you look, what we use to sell product, to gain people for marketing, lust is involved in that. Sex is involved in that. And so I'm going to focus more on sex because the Bible, when talking about lust, focuses on sex. So if you have, your, if you have a Bible, open up to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 through 8, this is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. And he says this, verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. He says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. So he's saying, we were there before, we planted the church, we told you, here's how you need to live to please God. And he said, you're doing that. But he takes a step further. He says, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord, Jesus, to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Verse three, for it is God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, Anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So when the Bible talks about lust, and lust is this, this excessive desire and longing to fulfill pleasures of the body, a lot of times it points to sex. And I think that's a good thing, because from the beginning of time, sex has been misused, we'll say go look at my 43, and I remember it's 43 minutes because I think it's the longest message I preached, which isn't saying a lot, um, about sex last fall. A lot of different stats and statistics. So as I was doing this, I was like, okay, like we obviously know that sex is like just used as a tool that is outside of God's desire for what he desires for us in, in living into sexuality and what it looks like to be obedient in our sexuality. And an, an obvious way to do that is to look at the shows. I think 75% of shows eventually have a scene or, or, or leading up to a scene that involves some sort of sexual scene. There's a show, and I have not watched it, nor will I watch it. I think it's on Netflix. I don't know, because I didn't want to look too much into it. But it's a show, it's called Too Hot to Handle. Too Hot to Handle. And here's the premise. They have recruited how they describe it as hot people... That's how they describe it. I don't know what they mean by hot. It's their own definition. Hot people with the promise of pursuing hedonistic pleasure, meaning basically self-gratifying pleasure. So basically, we got a bunch of young adults in the room. We told them they're going to have a bunch of sex, and we put them on an island. That's the show, the premise of the show. Too hot to handle. So they get him to this island, and this is the promise they have. They're all super pumped, I'm assuming. Haven't seen it. Don't want to see it. I would suggest you guys not see it. But they put them on an island, but there's just one catch. And this is why this is hilarious. And I don't know, I should have looked more into it, but I'm actually glad I didn't. I don't know if anyone actually won the prize, but they said, this huge catch, they said, they have a $100,000 prize, but only if they abstain from having sex. They brought them to the island, promising them hedonistic pleasure, self-gratification, saying, you can, have all, you can have all sex you want. And they gave them a challenge of abstinence, and they said, we'll give you $100,000 if you can't have sex. 
And I just can't imagine the disappointment because our culture is wrapped up with this idea that sex equals intimacy, that sex is love. And it's just not true. Sigmund Freud, (laughs) right? Psychotherapist. He said every problem that we have can be boiled down to an issue with sex. Another philosopher by the name of Barney Stinson from the documentary How I Met Your Mother said that every problem can be solved with sex. There are vast, it's not a documentary, it's a show that has moments, it's funny, but yeah, whatever. But sex is always talked about. And when it comes to lust, it's this desire and longing desire. It's something that was even given to us that's not a bad thing, that's been twisted and misused, ultimately to keep us away from who God asks us to be. So not only Paul addresses it, but also Jesus. He says in Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And what's so beautiful, Jackson, leave this text up. What's so beautiful about this passage is that Jesus is changing the game, right? I mean, it's not just committing adultery as a sin. He's saying, look, if you have an excessive longing desire to fulfill a pleasure within yourself by just looking at another person, you've committed sin. He's changing the game. Not only when it comes to sin and how we see lust and how we see sex and actually where the battle takes place. But what's awesome about this is that at this time, men were able to hand over a certificate of divorce to women because women were seen as property. We have women's rights today because of Jesus. Because of who Jesus is, his care for people, the way that he taught. In this phrase that we don't see, you have to look behind it and what he's actually doing is he say, listen, men, women are no longer your property or objects, they're people. So not only are you committing adultery, you're making them commit adultery because guess what? They're not just things for you to use. He's changing the game on how we think about lust and how we think about sex. And it's actually really, really beautiful. You see, what lust is, is taking a good thing like sexual desire, because that is a good thing. But it's separating it from honoring people and having a reverence to God. It's saying with my sexual desire, I'm going to, in lust, treat people not as human, but as objects. And not only that, is God actually don't want you to have any voice into how I view and how I have my own sexual desire. My sexuality is apart from what you should say about my sexuality, God. For me, um, when I was eight years old, my, and I, I don't remember if I've told you guys a story. I told this story to some people. I don't know if I've said it here. If I've said it here before, you're welcome. You get to hear it twice. Uh, when I was eight years old, I got caught looking at pornography on our basement computer from my mom. Super embarrassing. Like the most traumatized I've been ever in my life up to that point. I was only eight, but it was horrific. And I got caught. My dad came down after he got home. And this is one of those things where it's like, like the, when mom says, oh, I'm going to tell your dad. And you're like freaking out. I like peed my pants because I knew I was in huge trouble. And my dad came down and he gave me a magazine And he said, just don't look on the computer anymore. And that was my sex talk with my dad. And so from eight years old until I was a freshman in college at 19, pornography was not just a thing that was, I was addicted to and was a part of my life. 
I didn't think it was wrong from what I had been taught about it. And it created within me an excessive longing desire to fulfill bodily pleasure. And so I get to college and I give my life to Jesus my freshman year. I I come to Oasis over in the AC and I go to a fall retreat that Campus Crusade put on and I'm getting involved in Bible studies. And that next spring, I'm six months into following Jesus and we go to Panama City Beach to share the gospel with people who are on their spring break. And it was terrifying, but also amazing. And in the classic, most churchy thing ever, during that week, they decided to do the classic, well, let's split the men and the women up and let's talk about purity, right? I mean, if you've been a part of the church, you've been a part of these sessions. And so they split us up and, and all the guys were in one room and the girls went in their other room and I never knew. I always like wondered, like, what are they talking about? I don't know what we're going to talk about. Or I thought I knew we were going to talk about. I was like, man, I wonder what the girls talk about. And I'm just sitting in my own world. And I was like, like, this is great. I'm with my brothers. Like, this is going to be awesome. We're sharing Jesus with people. We've been worshiping all week. It's great. And all of a sudden, it got into this talk of purity. And then I heard, like, people starting to say, yeah, like, I, I struggle with pornography. For 11 years... I had thought porn was okay. It had been a part of my life. And so when I hear they're struggling with pornography, my immediate reaction and thought process is what? Like, you don't know how to find it? Literally. That was what went through my head. I was like, well, I got a website. Like, I can help you find Like, literally is what went in my head. As we're sharing the gospel of Jesus with people on the beach. This, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm going, they're going around and, and these leaders are reading scripture. And I was like, oh, that's what they mean by they struggle with porn. What's... And ultimately, for the first time in my life, I heard, like, here's why this is bad. Because when you commit sexual sin outside of God's design for sex and what he meant for it, you are not just committing sin against the person that you're watching on the screen or against God, but you're committing sin against yourself. And and what I mean by that is what happens in our brain is the same exact thing that happens to an addict's brain when he's on drugs when it comes to lust. And you can go back to my message that I gave a couple months ago, but the reality is that there are hormones that fire off every time that we masturbate when we look at porn. Every time that we have that sensation and that fulfillment and that feeling. Hormones go off and it creates a bond and connection that ultimately leads us to what I call a deadly progression that leads us to becoming addicts. Because lust as an excessive longing desire to fulfill bodily pleasures is only going to lead us down a road that is away from Jesus. And so this deadly progression, I'm going to go through this real quick, looks like this. You can throw that first one up. It starts with this. It starts with fancy, which is just a great word. Um, It's a very British word, and it's what British people would use to say, like, I have a crush on you. But this is that moment where the person walks by, Right? You weren't expecting it. It wasn't planned. This is the realm of temptation. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. It's what we do when the fancy comes. That's a weird sentence. But it's that moment of someone walking by and am I going to take a second look or not? It says I'm scrolling through, well, for me, Facebook, because I'm a thousand years old. (laughs) Or as I'm double tap in some Insta-G's. And as I'm scrolling, I see ads. And all of a sudden, there's... That was, I thought that was, that was good. Uh, some of you laughed. I like to tell my wife that when I'm going to the bathroom, I'm just going to go double tap some Insta-G's. 
That's tangent number one for the night. And then all of a sudden, an ad comes up. For me, it would be, all right, lingerie and then a swimsuit. Something that is going to trigger my imagination that's going to lead me to the next stage of the progression, which is fantasy. You see, now in fantasy, what we're doing is we're longing for something and a situation that I currently do not find myself in, also known as escapism. This, in fantasy, the battle starts. Fantasy is we've already lost the battle. Because it's either I'm taking a second look or I'm making that extra click that I shouldn't make. And it's not enough to not just act out, to not just do the action. This is where we see change start to happen. This is where we see addiction fully take form. And ultimately, when fantasy is embraced, we act out in fulfillment. And it's this deadly progression. It's this moment of fulfillment where we're doing what we know we not ought to do. And we think, and how we've talked about it, I think, in the church, and, and I know how I've even been taught about it, is this is where the battle was lost. It's when I've ultimately acted out and I've done the actual action, all right, that was the sin. When in reality, the battle was happening already at the temptation level and stage. See, the fulfillment isn't the first step of sin, isn't the first step of addiction into lust, of excessive longing. It's not the first step. This is where the chains are in play. This is where we're battling and fighting, trying to find freedom. This is in that moment where I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to not do this. It's in that moment of immediate regret and even repentance and guilt for God, I did it again. I not only excessively longed for, but I stepped in. This is David with Bathsheba. Right? He fancied her as she was taking her shower on a roof, which I don't understand that one. And instead of looking and walking away and going back inside, he fantasized. And then when fantasy finally embraced, he fulfilled. And then because he wasn't to fully admit his wrongdoing, the sin kept going further and he ultimately murdered. Lust takes us down such a dangerous path that leads us to death. Lust can be summarized as a good longing gone wrong, using others as an object and keeping God out of our sexuality and our desire. So, okay, I'm done being negative, kind of. So what are we supposed to push into? Paul tells us, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, he says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So if the vice is lust, then the virtue is purity. And not purity in the sense that maybe you've been taught or that I know I've been taught. Purity is not just this correlation that like, if I live a pure life, then I'm being free from sexual immorality. You see, purity is something more than just having to do with sex. It's a part of it. It's a huge part of it. But purity starts with this idea of what does it look like to be pure? And pure is to be clean and unsoiled from the pollution and guilt of sin. It's free from an impure mixture. And you see, I can't actually live into the virtue of purity if I first am not pure. What we've done and how we've talked about purity, I think, in the church is we've just solely made it an outward action. 
And that was not God's intent. You see, for me to live a pure life and for us to live a life of purity, it first has to start somewhere else outside of just action and outward holiness, which is a good thing. But if I'm just focused on doing what's right on the outside and my inside is still impure and soiled and unclean, I'm a Pharisee. And so we look to Jesus and say, okay, well, what does it mean to be pure? What does it mean to live a life of purity? He says, first it starts in the heart. Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He says it starts within first and foremost. It's not just an outward action. The reality is that, yeah, pure is not an action seen from the outside. It's a state of our soul. And then what happens when this, our soul is pure, what comes is then purity fulfilled in holiness. Our outward action then is actually flowed from a life of being pure. What he's saying is, in order for you to pursue this virtue of living a life of purity, you have to first and foremost recognize that you are pure. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. In Colossians 1.22, he says, once you were alienated from God and were hostile in your minds because of your evil deeds, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy, unblemished, and blameless in his presence. You see, to be pure in heart is to recognize that first and foremost, I have relationship with the pure one. It's not just outward action. It's the reality that my identity, who God says I am, starts with this reality of being pure. And from that, I can live a life of purity. Because it's saying, I'm not making myself clean because I can't. It's Jesus did it for me through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. You see, the Bible tells us that we cannot be saved without the shedding of blood. And we needed to be saved because our sin made us unclean. Our sin makes us unholy. Our sin makes us impure. And so there needed to be a shedding of blood in order for us to become clean. And it was through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, his shedding of blood, dying a death that we were supposed to die because of our sin, now makes us pure. And as First Peter says, you are pure, holy, and even calls us a priesthood. And so it's this idea of you are not only pure as an identity, is when God looks at you, you are pure. That doesn't change. This doesn't ever change. He sees you as pure. He also sees you as holy. And in the process, as I accept the identity of who God says I am in Jesus, I can start living a life of purity. And all of a sudden, my life looks like one of holiness. It's not that I am trying to live a life of holiness to please a God who has created me where I know I've messed up. And that if I just do more good things and more good things and more good things, I'm going to become pure. It's, he says, no, you are pure and you are holy and you are blameless now live a life of purity from that reality it's this moment where we can say to be pure in our heart that jesus there is no one else for me that even though yes temptation comes and i will struggle and i will fight i'm gonna fight i'm not gonna give in easily because when you see me you see someone who is pure and holy 
because of what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection. And he says, those who are pure in heart will see God. And it's not just this physical seeing like we see each other or you online can see me. It's to see God means to gaze with wide-eyed wonderment at something remarkable. Not just physically seeing, but has the perception of some object or person for us, which is Jesus, and to receive some sort of revelation in that. It goes beyond just the physical and enters into the spiritual. He said, if you're pure in heart, starting with the reality that Jesus makes you pure and a desire to want to live a holy and pure life, that you will be able to see God. You see, lust clouds the vision for us to be able to see God clearly. It cuts off intimacy, not only with God and from him, but also with each other. And so to run away from lust and to run towards understanding that we've been made pure by the blood and resurrection of Jesus, to run towards purity, maybe you have to make some commitments. Like, like Job had to make a covenant. Where he said, I'm gonna make a covenant with myself that I will, not, I will no longer look at a young woman lustfully. Maybe it's you gotta abstain and run away from making coarse and rude sexual jokes. Maybe for you it's such an issue that you actually have to turn away from explicit TV and stop watching some of the shows that you are watching. Again, I'm not trying to give you these things to give you a list of rules of here's how to live a life of purity and holiness. What I'm saying is that I needed to do these things because lust was such an issue for me that if I kept filling my mind with things that were impure, that kept leading me toward an excessive longing and desire to fulfill pleasure of the body, that I was going to do it based off what I was filling my mind in. Maybe you need to just say for the first time that you're not going to let your impulses or your want of something to drive your thinking. Maybe for you, if lust is a big issue, you're going to actually, for the first time, put boundaries emotionally, physically, and spiritually with people in your life, friendships in your life. But it's not just enough. Even for those of us who have or are struggling with porn addiction to say and tell the addict just to stop. It actually creates more danger. Because what happens is this puts all the effort on ourself. And the reality is that even if I understand that I've been made pure by Jesus and I'm made holy by Jesus, it's not as simple as pursuing a life of purity and wholeness as a straight line. It's, I took one step and then 1,800 steps back and I'm trying to move and it looks like this and it's not a clean line. Discipleship is messy. I said it once like this in leadership. It's one of my favorite things. I'm sorry, Jane, I'm going to say it. It's like delivering a baby. Dude, that's, labor is messy. <laughs> but the outcome is beautiful. Discipleship is messy. And pursuing a life of purity and holiness, even when I mess up and I come back, even when I don't fully understand that I've been made holy, I'm pursuing a life of holiness and purity because I know it's what God desires for me. And what's awesome is I'm not doing this in my own strength even when I mess up. It's there's a means of grace here that God tells us if we rest in this means of grace, he's actually gonna do the work of purifying and making us holy. And the means of grace is this, is love. So the bridge 
to becoming who God ultimately made you to be, to run away from the vice of lust and towards the virtue of purity, we have to rest in the means of grace of love. And so what does that look like? And here's why that's important. We have to learn how to love correctly because lust will fill in the voids that's not satisfied by love. Lust fills in the voids, the longing in our soul, fulfills the things within us that only the love of God can ultimately fulfill. So what does it look like to love correctly, to live into the means of grace? Three things. One, love dwells in the Father's heart. I'm gonna never, ever, ever get sick of saying this. Love dwells first and foremost in the Father's heart. And what that means is you have to understand that you have a love relationship with God. You have a love relationship with God. Make it a practice to remind yourself that you are in a relationship with the Father through what Jesus has done for you. 1 John 3.1, Jackson, you throw that up on the screen. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You can throw out 1 John 4, 9 through 10 as well. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. To rest in the means of grace, to pursue and live a life understanding that God has made me whole and pure in Jesus and to live a life of purity and wholeness is to dwell in the means of grace of love. First is to dwell in the Father's heart for you. Second, love desires God's best for others. Where lust treats people like objects, love desires the best for, for people. This is one of my favorite definitions of love. Because sometimes I think in order to love my children well, I know what's best for them. And that's not always the case. So I look at, okay, God, what do you say is best for them? And sometimes that means saying no to my children. Sometimes that means putting myself in situations and my loved ones in places where we have to abstain from things that are not pointing us to Jesus. Because I want in my love to desire God's best for other people. 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Love desires God's best for people. And then finally, love delights in holiness. 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. So I've rested in love knowing who God says I am as his child, knowing that I'm made pure and holy, that I have a love relationship with the Father. I'm pursuing loving people well, desiring God's best for them. Even Paul says this later in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, so he said, keep doing what you're doing, but we have more instruction. Flee from sexual immorality. Know that, that it's God's will for you to be sanctified. And he says, in doing this, here's what this looks like. He says, now, and this is verse nine, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. He says, Paul, to, in order to continue to flee from sexual immorality, to flee from lustful thinking and lustful pursuit, continue to love God's people. Continue to desire God's best for others. And the finally says, love delights in holiness. This is where the discipline of restraint comes in. 
This is where accountability is healthy and it's good and it's important. It's having the mindset and the understanding first and foremost. The yes, I know God loves me. I know he wants me to pursue loving and desiring his best for people. But also God, I wanna desire and delight in holiness because I know that's what you desire, desire for my life. I know that's what you want for me. God is not asking for perfection. God is asking for you to continue to pursue being in relationship with the one who has lavished love on you so much that that love will never escape. To move from an excessive longing to fulfill bodily pleasures and to live a life of purity is to rest in the means of grace of love that the Holy Spirit and the work does in us as we rest in the Father's heart, as we pursue loving people and desiring God's best for them, and as we delight in holiness, knowing that that is what God desires from us, knowing that holiness is for our good and for his glory. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for a start of a, a series where we're talking about sins and patterns of sin that entangle us and engrip us into slavery, that, that try to as much as they desire and want to keep us from living a holy life, a blameless life that you've called us into, that will distract us from who we truly are as your pure and holy people. I thank you that you have made us holy and you are making us holy. And that is so confusing. And even God, in, in 10 years of ministry and 13 years of following you, Jesus, I still don't fully comprehend that. So even for tonight, right now, would you bring clarity into the truth that you have made us holy in Jesus? That when you see us, you see blameless, perfect, pure people. And that it's out of that reality and relationship that we can delight and pursue holiness and purity that to be pure in heart starts with the reality that I long for nothing more than you, Jesus. To be able to say, as David said, the psalmist, the shepherd said, that in you, he lacks nothing. Would you make that just truth so real for us? For those who even tonight have fallen into the chains and the grips and the enslavement of lust. God, we thank you that you are way more powerful, <laughs> that you have the keys, not only the keys, but the hammer to break those chains free. And we ask for freedom right now in Jesus' name. Lavish your love. Even now, let us know your heart. Help us rest in the means of grace of love, which knows that we have a love relationship with you that you desire for us to have God, your best interests in people's life and that we would delight in holiness. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. There's gonna be some people in the back praying um, and every week we have this. We have leaders in the back who are ready and willing um, to pray for you, to encourage you with whatever you need whatever God's laid on your heart. So if you need prayer, please, as we worship, as there's some time, please go back and, and ask for prayer. We'd love to be able to just come alongside you in whatever, whatever you have going on in this life. Amen.
You guys can go ahead and stand up. Let's, let's worship.